Visit our website at oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I'd like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Ed. No, I got it. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Ed, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, I don't look like one, though, do I? Um, I had a uh, sponsor in Alcoholics Anonymous for a lot of years who used to introduce himself that way, and he passed away recently, and uh, so I might just start stealing his line. Um, anyway, uh, first off, I'd like to thank Walter for asking me to come and share in absentia. Uh, I guess I scared him away. Um, I have been abstinent since October 12, 1987, and I am currently maintaining a 70-pound weight loss. And uh, I tried to figure out how much weight I gained and lost doing diets, and I, I got lost somewhere around 300 pounds. And uh, you know, but it started. Um, my problems with food started at a very early age. Um, when I share, I like to talk a lot about what I was like. Not what it, I, I, I like to share about what it was like, but I also like to share about what I was like. Because the difference in my behavior now and what... It, am I done already? <laughs> the difference in my behavior now and the kind of person that people tell me I am now and the way I used to be, uh, I, I could never have dreamed um, about the kind of life I have now as a result of these 12 steps. Um, so to begin, um, I just give you a little history. Uh, my, my nickname growing up was Ed Weirdo. And uh, I used to do things like, see, I was trying to explain to somebody, you know, I hear some people say they were like born needing X, you know, fill in the blank. I was born needing a drink. I was born needing to eat. I was born needing to whatever. And I don't think I was born but that way. But I do know that when I was very young, I just didn't feel right. You know what I mean? I didn't feel like comfortable. I didn't feel like uh, a part of anything. I mean, I always felt not like an alien, but just, just different. And I couldn't figure out I couldn't figure out why people didn't like me, you know. And I couldn't figure out why I didn't have friends. And I couldn't figure out, you know, a lot of things. And I just, I just didn't feel right, you know. I had a lot of anxiety about school. Um, I tried running away when I was seven years old. Um, you know, and I just, I mean, I hated life, you know. I just, I hated, I just hated it. Um, so, <laughs> my first attempt at trying to fill that hole with anything from the outside was I discovered hyperventilation. Okay? And so what you do is you like take a lot of breaths really fast and then you hold your breath. And then we figured out that if you spun around a lot and then someone came up from behind and hugged you, you would come like this close to passing out, right? And so you know, at a young age, we used to hang out in my front yard doing this, and you know, until everybody had to go home. 
And then everybody went home and I was still there doing it on my own. Okay? So, that's how it started for me and it didn't get any better. And it didn't matter if it was hyperventilation, if it was a five-pound can of cashews, if it was ice cream, if it was, you know, all the candy I could steal from the, you know, the God, we had this, had this store that we used to go into as a gang, you know, and then everybody would distract the guy behind the counter and we'd all fill our... We'd all fill our pockets with candy and run out, you know, and go hide in the woods and eat candy, you know. And, uh, you know, I'd eat it till I got sick. Um, and it made me feel better. It made me feel better. I think the first time I ever experienced an experience, or, or I ever had an experience where I, I, I just sat and I couldn't stop eating because it made me feel better was someone gave me once a five-pound can of cashews. Um, I had a friend whose dad used to work for Planters Peanuts, and uh, he had a hit, like a garage full of these products, and he gave me a five-pound can of cashews, and I took it home, and I locked myself in my room, and I laid on my bed, and I ate it, and I didn't share it with anybody. I didn't walk in the house and say, hey, guys, look what I got, you know, let's share this. No, I hid it, and, you know, kept it to myself, and I ate it until I couldn't eat anymore. Um, and, you know, I wasn't... I wasn't overweight growing up. I was an athlete. I played football. I played basketball. I played baseball in in, in high school. I actually had a scholarship to college to play football. And so I was always active. Um, And my weight really didn't become an issue um, until I quit drinking. And when I quit drinking, I had to do something, you know. Um, and, I, and so the worst thing that could have happened to me was I quit drinking in 1988 and I quit smoking in 1987. And that was the first time where my clothes stopped fitting me. Um, and, uh, I, you know, it just it didn't, it didn't click in my mind. Okay? It just didn't click in my mind. So what I was like during that whole time, though, because I, all I was doing was filling the void. I was not a nice person. Um, I did some things that I'm not particularly proud of. Um, see, I believe there's this interesting theory. Um, and it was talked about. I was just on a retreat last weekend with uh, 50 men. And what we do is we go through the steps over the weekend. And someone was talking about this, this kit of spiritual tools that we get around here with the steps. And uh, this guy was sharing and he said, you know, when they were passing him out, he said uh, he was too short and they went right by him and so he didn't get a kid of spiritual tools. And so he didn't have those tools to deal with, you know, what do you do when someone teases you about something? You know, what do you do to fill that hole inside of you? Do you, do you have spiritual tools to fill that void? You know, I didn't. So, you know, I use food, I use alcohol, I use drugs, I use, you know, treating people horribly to make myself feel better. Uh, You know, bad rumoring, bad gossiping. uh, I mean, you name it. Selfish, self-centered to the core. Um, And I could care less about another person and yet wonder why I had no friends growing up. So, you know, I would alienate people with my behavior not knowing it and then couldn't wonder why I didn't have a friend. And before I got to this program... That was pretty much all I ever really wanted, was just to have a friend, you know. I came here very lonely, um, and even though I was married, I was still very lonely. Um, but that's a whole other story I'll get to later. 
So, uh, I had this moment when I was in college of that pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization and had nothing to do with food. It had nothing to do with, with, with alcohol. It had nothing to do with any of that. It just had to do, and I will never forget this moment as long as I live. Um, I was living in this household. This was 1972. And um, there were some guys in the household that I just, you know, I wanted their approval. I just wanted to be friends. And I just remember this look on this one guy's face. And he was just shaking his head at me. And he said, and, and stone cold sober. And he said, you know, you just don't get it, do you? And I didn't. I just, I didn't get it. I didn't know what it meant, you know, to really care for another person. Um, I got married when I was very young the first time. Um, I think I was about, I think I was 20 years old when I got married. And I had a son when I was um, about 22. And um, when I was married to his, his, his mother... Uh, she had gotten pregnant, and um, so the decision was that she was to have an abortion. And she said, "Will you take me?" And I said, "Well, you know, I'm kind of busy. You know, you got pregnant. You can take yourself." Mm-hmm. And and you know, I hear gasps <laughs> whenever I tell that story, and I and, and I tell it for a reason that I'll get to later, um, because that's the kind of person I was. Um, and. Uh, so, you know, it takes a lot of, of food to fill that hole when you feel that crappy all the time. It takes a lot. Um, so, you have to forgive me. I do that sometimes. I have to stop and collect my thoughts. It comes with age. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to tell this without telling, you know, my whole experience with the steps. And my experience with the steps started 20 plus years ago um, when I quit drinking. And I don't really want to talk too much about, you know, my alcoholism. I do want to talk about my overeating. But the steps, it's interesting because my sponsor in OA, I met in AA 20 years ago. And we used to sit next to each other. And I knew him at his top weight. And he knew me at my top weight. And um, so it's interesting to see. I walked into um, uh, I walked into an AA meeting, and I saw him. And I go, my God, what happened to you? You know, you look great. And without hesitating, he said, OA. And it stuck in the back of my mind for about two or three years. Okay. So um, I. Uh, I do want to talk about the steps a little bit now because um, it was an interesting experience for me when I first started working these steps, and they do mean a lot to me. Uh, they mean a lot to me because I would not be standing here today without them. I would not have a close to 30-year marriage without them. Um, and I don't, I, you know, I believe that my kids would not be where they are at without the steps. Um, because they literally changed my life. Uh, so when I first started working the steps, um, when I, 
when I said, you know, that I didn't want to go to school, I didn't want to go to school because it was a Catholic school. And I have nothing against the Catholic religion, but I was a very practical person, and I, and I did not believe the kind of stuff they were saying. And so um, I used to fight with the nuns, and the nuns used to pretty much just beat the crap out of me. Because <laughs> that's what they did back then. And uh, I, I got kicked out when I was, I think, uh, 10 years old. Yeah, fifth grade. They kicked me out of Catholic school and said, Master Edward would probably be better in a public school. So that's what happened. So when I left the Catholic Church, I left it. Because for me, um, if they tell you you have to believe something, I'm not going to believe you. And so if they tell me I have to believe in this, I'm just, I can't do it. And that's what's so wonderful about this program, because we get to choose a God of our own. We get to find a God of our own choosing. Uh, and it's a God as we understand Him. So, um, when I first started working these steps, I had a lot of trouble with that. And when I first started coming around, I got, I got, I got I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do with that God word? See, I said, oh my God, what am I going to do with the God word, right? And I had... Uh, But you know what? For some reason, I was so desperate, I didn't really care. I just didn't care. I just said, okay, I'm just going to move forward and we'll see what happens. And so, I also had a problem with anger. And uh, I remember that um, I'd been coming around for a couple of years. And uh, I had a couple of experiences with my kids that started to get my attention. And the final one was that... um, so, so I quit drinking, and I'm trying to work these steps, and I don't believe in a God, and I have no idea what I'm going to do with this anger, and I find myself at a point where my son was doing something, and he really pissed me off, and I remember I had him in both hands over my head, and I was ready to throw him across the room. And that's what, that's what my behavior is like without a program. That's where I go. And so, the only thing that stopped me from doing that was a light bulb. A light bulb broke, and it got my attention. And I wound up going on my first retreat when I, when I had been working the steps for about seven years. And uh, I don't know what made me go and talk to this priest. I have no idea what made me go and talk to this You know, because, I, like I said, I, I could care less, you know. I mean... If they're going to beat me for what I think, you know, where is that? I mean, what, you know, how do you, uh, to beat a kid for something that they feel, what are you going to do? How, what is that kid going to do with that and how is that kid going to feel, right? And so that's what I carried around for 30 years. And so... I sat down with this priest and I told him, I said, you know what, I, I just got all this stuff going on and I, you know, I've been working these steps and I did this inventory and I'm, you know, I've been making these amends to people, but why am I still so goddamn angry? <laughs> and um, I don't, you know what, this guy just hit it right on the nose. And he says to me, he says, well, he said, are you sorry for everything you've ever done? And nobody had ever asked me that question. And it's there, it's right there in the steps too. And I just went right by it. I just, I flew right by it. And I said, well, yeah. And he said, well, God forgives you too. And nobody ever said that to me before. Nobody ever said that to me before. See, because I was not behaving in a certain way that they wanted me to behave, God didn't forgive me. 
So, when he said that, a lot of a lot of stuff just flowed out of me. I sat there in that in that church, and I still go back there a couple times a year for retreats, and I've been doing it for about 13 years. And uh, that night really really changed my life. I mean, I, I I sat there in that church and I cried and I cried and I cried, and I will warn you, I may cry tonight when I start talking about what the last couple of years have been like. So, um, and. Uh, the girl who took her chip, did she leave? Those tears of gratitude, I totally get that. Uh, I just totally get that. And I never thought that something like that would be possible. So, um, I finally found a piece that was missing. And that piece here was missing. And, what it, and, and, and so what it allowed me to do, the forgiveness allowed me to forgive other people and then all of a sudden, I started having different relationships with people. I mean, I've heard it said that it's amazing how nice people have gotten since I started working the steps, you know? Um, and when my impatience and my intolerance starts to come to the surface, it's literally because I'm thinking about myself. It's totally because I'm just thinking about myself. Um, there's a couple of spots in the big book that I love. And one of the, one of the spots is when uh, uh, Bill is first talking to Ebby. And Bill is still drinking and he's talking to Ebby. And Ebby found the program. And he's sitting down with Bill and he says, this is what it says, it says, My friend had emphasized the absolute necessity of demonstrating these principles in all my affairs. Particularly was it imperative to work with others as he had worked with me. Faith without works was dead, he said, and how appallingly true, and I'll substitute for the compulsive overeater. For if a compulsive overeater failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, he could, sur- he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. If he did not work, he would surely eat again, and if he and if he ate, he would surely die. Then faith would be dead indeed. With us, it is just like that. In the moment, all I care about is you know what I'm not getting. It's amazingly then how nasty people are. You know, the moment I think about when I, I'm not getting in my marriage, it's horrible. You know, I'm never going to get what I want. However. If I look at it, what I can put into it, it's absolutely amazing how wonderful it can be. Um, go figure the formula. I have no idea. Okay? But I think it's one of the things that makes this a spiritual program. And I had a lot of trouble trying to figure out, well, what do they mean by a spiritual program? You know? And it's literally what goes on right here in that hole that used to be so empty, that I used to have to fill with food. Um, now, I had been sober for about 15 years, and all of a sudden I find that I can't stop eating. Things are getting tough here and there, and I got, and it's just not working anymore. The, you know, what I was doing in the other program wasn't working anymore, and I start gaining weight. Um... I, right now, my waist is a 34-inch. I got up to over a 40-inch waist. And so I had three sets of clothes in my closet, you know. That's very expensive. Um, and it got particularly bad about 
a year and a half ago. Now, remember what I was like in my first marriage. A year and a half ago, my wife was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And uh, at that point, for me, all bets were off. But the difference was I took her to every single chemo treatment. I drove her to the hospital every day that she had to go there. She was, you know, literally in the hospital for five days out of seven for six months for hydration, all this other stuff that you have to do with chemo. Um, And through the whole thing, I was scared. Um, I really wasn't working a decent program. And so the only thing I could do was eat. And that's when the hiding got really bad. I would, you know, keep ice cream in the freezer and I would run to the freezer with a spoon and I would have the freezer open and as soon as somebody would come in, boom, it's back in there and the spoon's in the sink. I didn't want anybody to see me. Um, You know, cookies were another deal. I just saw this commercial where, I don't know if anybody's seen it, um, where dad's in the living room eating the cookies and the son comes in and says, you know, Santa, you know, when he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, right? And dad's eating the cookies, right? But that was me every day. And so the kids would come in looking for the cookies. And, oh, dad ate them all again, you know? So they would have to hide their own stuff from me, right? And uh, I stopped literally weighing myself when I hit 235. Because I just, I, I, you know, I couldn't do it anymore. And so six months went by and I never weighed myself, but I added a couple more belt loops, you know, just so the clothes would fit. And then it just got so bad, the pain got so bad because I would wake up in the morning and say, okay, I am not going to do this today. I am not going to eat today. I'm just going to eat, you know, I'm just going to do this and that's it. And, you know, by 10 o'clock, forget it. You know, I'm eating donuts again or whatever, you know. Um, and the, here's the funny thing. I always thought that, you know, people in other programs would get it, you know. They had a problem with X. Why don't they get the food thing, you know. I, mean, I have friends who have been around the program a long time and they go, what do you mean you can't even have like, like a taste? I, mean, it's like, I say, well, can you have a sip of beer? And they go, well, no, but it's different. I said, well, it's not different for me. You know, um, for me, sugar. Oh my God, sugar! I remember one time I quit sugar uh, for about a month, and we go out to dinner, and we have dessert. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, uh, reward myself with a ton of sugar for not eating it for a while, <laughs> and. Uh, Real successful program that was. Um, here's the interesting thing. I finished mine, and I'm waiting for my wife to finish so I can finish hers too. One of the things I do is I don't eat off of anybody else's plate anymore. And when you have kids, it's real easy. You know, I'm out there cleaning the dishes, and I'm finishing everybody's dinner as I'm washing dishes, right? Or, you know, you going to eat that? No. Good. Right? So... I finish mine and I finish hers. 
And so we get home, I take the dogs out, and all of a sudden I get this like <clears throat> this thing going on where I gotta have more sugar. I mean I'm starting to like withdraw already, you know? And I gotta run in the house and have more sugar. And, you know, I try explaining that to like people in let's say for example AA and they you know, some get it but most don't. And I was surprised at that. Whatever that's worth. Um, okay, so we're going through all this stuff, you know, and I'm eating like crazy and I can't stop eating. And you know what? It's hurting me physically. Physically hurts to like want to quit eating and I can't stop. I mean, I, I mean, I can't. I try to describe what it feels like, you know, that that hopelessness, that. That, that, you know, you get the case of the fuck it's whatever. I don't care anymore, you know. And then wake up the next morning going, God, I hate myself. I'm, okay, I'm not going to do it today, you know. And then boom, I'm, I'm in it again. And it was so easy. I had that excuse of the cancer, you know. Well, I'll just wait till you know, I'll just wait till she's feeling better because i got to do this to get through this. And that's what my friends were telling me. Oh, don't worry about it. And I called him and said, you know what, I can't stop eating. He goes, I don't worry about it. You know, you're under a lot of stress. You deal with it later, you know. And uh, so remember, I saw Walter, and he told me about that OA thing a couple years ago. So I called him. And I said, Walter, I cannot stop eating. What do I do? And, you know, he said, meet me at a meeting. I said, I don't know about that, you know. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready for that yet, you know. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's a bit much. So, it, 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 you know, so I kept eating for about another month or so. And then it just, you know, that was, I, I just, that was it. I was done. And so October 12th, 19, no, 19, I keep saying 19, uh, last October, so a year and a couple months ago, uh, I went to my first meeting. My first meeting was here. And i got to be honest with you, it was like a piece that was missing to my program. It was a huge piece that was missing and I had no idea until I actually started listening to other people share about their experiences with food. See, I tried quitting a lot of things on my own and I couldn't do it. I needed, I needed help. And it wasn't until I was willing to ask for that help that I was able to stop eating. And I have been abstinent since my first day. And it was just like I was struck that way. Um, I'm very careful not to say that, you know, I've got 14 months and I'm never going to eat again because I realize that no matter what the addiction is, all we have is today. And if I, I, I mean, I've seen so many people come and go out of all kinds of programs and, you know, they get a lot of years, but not enough days. And so, I, I, you know, I've learned to take time sometimes in very small chunks. Sometimes I have to break a day down into just the next indicated thing. Um, and I will take, <coughs> excuse me, I will take each meal, one meal at a time. And so, okay, it's just breakfast. It's just my snack. And that's it. And that's all I'm doing right now. And then, okay, lunch. Now, what I do is I eat three meals a day and I have two snacks because I swim uh, four days a week. 
at the end of, of, you know, before October, I was swimming four days a week and I was still gaining a lot of weight. I swim about a mile and a half a day and they're pretty hard workouts and so you burn a lot of calories and I was still putting weight on. And I couldn't figure out why I wasn't able to finish the workouts at the end. You know, it's a lot different when you're, you know, carrying an extra 70 or so pounds through the water, you know. It's amazing how much that will slow you down. (laughs) My arms were strong, but (laughs) I was getting real tired. Um, So, three meals a day, two snacks. Some days, I don't need those snacks. Um... One other very important tool is that I inventory my food every day and I email it to my sponsor. I don't plan before the day. I write down at the end of the day. Um, I know some people plan out what they're going to do. I know that I'm going to have three sensible meals, no sugar, um, and uh, it's worked. My, My food plan is the same exact now as it was 14 months ago. I haven't changed a thing, and my weight just went like this and then leveled off. And um, I have arthritis, and so I was in, and, and, and I, I sometimes am in a lot of pain. It's better now, especially my knees thank me a lot, and my hip thank me a lot because they're not carrying around so much extra. Um, but I, I have it in my spine, and so I, I see this pain team, and stenosis causes a lot of uh, nerve pain. And so uh, um, I, get, I have to get these blood tests to make sure that the drugs are not affecting me in a weird way because you know you can have kidney problems. And he comes back and he looks at me and he goes, and this made me feel so good. And he goes, well, congratulations. He said, you're my first patient. Oh, no, what did he say? He said, first, he says, you have no fat. He said, you are at the perfect weight for a person your height. And all I did was eat three meals a day and two snacks, and I exercise, and I take care of myself. And these were not things I was doing. These were not things I was doing. Um, So, how am I different today? I am different today because I am of service. And I think that's the biggest thing I can think of, is that I am of service. I, I, I went to a step study this morning, and um, it was about, it was on step 12. And um, there were a lot of people sharing about having a lot of trouble in their life. One guy was talking about his son uh, suffering from a mental illness, and he had to be institutionalized. Um, Another guy, one of his kids has Down syndrome. All these, all these amazingly, like, difficult problems. And how do you get through them? How do you get through the divorce? How, you know, how can the steps help us get through something major like that? And to a person, it's all, how, how much more can I be of service? How much more can I help another person? without thinking about myself. Because the more I think about myself, it's, it's interesting, the worse the problem gets. Um, and so when I'm having trouble, particularly at the end of the day, that's my worst time. My worst time is, is, is in the evening 
Because that was a time where I would just indulge, as it were. And it didn't matter what it was. It absolutely, I didn't care if it was stale. I didn't care if it had ice burn on it. Uh, I didn't care if it had been in the garbage. I didn't care if it had been on the floor. Um, if I needed to eat it, I was going to eat it. Um, and so when those moments come, i got to take a deep breath, and then i got to figure out what I can do to get out of that. And every time, it's what can I do to be of service to even, even my dogs, okay? It doesn't matter. I'll take my dogs for a walk, you know? Um, you know, that's the other amazing thing. Um, when I was a kid, I used to, uh, let's put it this way. My parents bought me a dog when I was a kid and they had to take it away from me because um, I used to, I would abuse the dog. I won't go into gory details, but I abused the dog. And because um, I didn't know how else to behave. And that's the way I treated people, too. I use that analogy. That's the way I treated people. Um, and that's the way I was treated growing up. And I, I, I knew no other behavior. So like you know, I said before, I was born without that kit of tools, and I learned them here. And uh, you know, since coming to the program, um, I've had four dogs. Uh, we've had to put two to sleep, and uh, one we had to put to sleep. Uh, you know, we did it on the bed at home, and it was just—I mean, I can't even begin to tell you. Um, I mean, to, to you know, to go from abusing animals to then you know having an experience like that and we now have two dogs I mean they, you know they sleep in our bed they just like I mean there are new kids you know and I love them to death and I can't imagine I can't imagine having done the things that I used to do I can't imagine having done the things I used to do to you know other people to women I now have friendships that have lasted, you know, 19, 20 years. And that in itself is a huge gift of the program and the steps. Um, like I said, I've been married coming up on 30 years. You know, my wife is in the program. And, you know, we have a... Oh, my kids are funny about it, too, because we used to take them to a lot of meetings, and, you know, and it's, it's dangerous when your kids start quoting the big book to you, I'll tell you. And so, uh, when they were, when they, and, and when they were growing up, I would, I would, like, you know, do this, rather than blurt something out. And it was all I could do, to sort of, I would just do this. Oh, Dad's having an, you know, Dad's having a, a, an AA moment, you know, so doing this, you know. And so it's still a joke, you know. Um, so that's the difference. And, and, and uh, I, I just, I just, you know, I, tr- I, I just, uh, God, my life is just so different. Um, So to go from a place where I was to the place I am now, in all those in all those areas of my life, in all those areas of my life, including work, including work, um, I was an abusive boss as well, you know, and it's just not that way anymore. It's absolutely not that way anymore. And I could go on and on and on about the gifts, but 
I want to leave a few minutes in case anybody has any questions. And so anyway, that is not possible without these 12 steps. And I, you know, I have had to turn my will and my life over. And I have to do it on a daily basis. And I think for me, the most important thing that I will do on any day is when I wake up, is that I admit that I am powerless over food and that my life is unmanageable. I am a compulsive overeater. And so that, if I take that with me throughout the day, listen, I work in the restaurant business, and I could eat whatever I want at any time of the day that I want. I mean, there was, very often, you know, you'd find me, you know, in the big walk-in freezer eating cheesecake, or with my head in the freezer, you know, or the refrigerator just, you know, cookies, who cares, you know? Um... And so I'm around it every day. And there's, I mean, I have so many opportunities to do it. But I'm, an, I'm a compulsive overeater. And I know if I start every day like that, I will not overeat. I can go to parties now. I can walk down a buffet line. Um, I make a point of, you know, not going there when I don't have to. <laughs> because it's like, why would I go hang out you know, in a bar is the same thing. I wouldn't go hang out at a buffet. Um, I certainly, not in the hotels in Vegas either. Um, so, see, if I do that every day, I got a chance. And so that's really how I have to start my day. And that's how I've made it 14 months. And I will make it, hopefully, till the end of today. So, um, again, I'd like to thank Walter for asking me. And welcome the new person. And I'm sure you have a lot of questions. Hang out after the meeting. Uh, stick your hand out because um, there are answers here. There's a lot. They, you know, there's an answer for every problem in these 12 steps. So I'm done. Thank you. Any questions? Good. Oh darn! We'll go left to right. Go ahead. Hi. Thank you so much for your share. Repeat the question. Um, when I get angry, resentful, or intolerant, how do I deal with those emotions? The most important thing is that I take a deep breath and not react. I have a physical sensation sometimes that comes over me. And sometimes it'll start in the back of my throat. And it's like, boom, a curtain comes down. It gets, it gets, it gets that big. You know when you hear people say, seeing red? It's kind of what happens. And so now I have learned to take a deep breath, to not say a word. And it's hard not to. And I'm not perfect. Trust me, I'm not perfect. I put my foot in my mouth all the time. Okay? But I've gotten a lot better. And sometimes I might have to leave a room. I might have to, let's say, for example, if I have a problem dealing with another person, I may have to go to somebody and ask them to act as a mediator. Because I literally cannot deal with them personality-wise, and I've tried. So I will bring in somebody else to help me. Because I just, I just, I can't do it. And I admit it. See, the difference now is though I admit it. And it's taken a long time and a lot of work to get there. And so I think the most important thing is, is to recognize it first. And again, 
Um, it's the first three steps. I'm powerless over my anger. My life is unmanageable. And so if I do that with that, then when it comes up, I'm more aware of it. And over time, I get better. Does that answer your question? Okay. Thank you. Thanks, sir. Can you tell us how you work step 11? Poorly. Um, I think... Oh, yes. Uh, how I work step 11. Um, I have an interesting relationship with my higher power in that I use the word God for lack of a better word. Okay? Um, so... There are days when I cannot wait to sit in my chair in, in my office at home and take 5, 10, 15 minutes and center myself and pray and meditate. There are days where I will do anything to get to that spot because it really calms me down and helps me prepare for the day. Um, and then there are, I'll go stretches where I forget to do it. You know? Um, I'm not one of those persons who will um, consciously pray throughout the day. But, for example, if I get angry sometimes, I will take a deep breath and say a prayer. As simple as the, uh, as the serenity prayer. Um, so, I would say, you know, if you go 1 through 12, it's probably the one I work the least consistently um, but when I do it, and I can remember to do it, um, God, I feel so much better. I don't know why, you know, I can't remember to do it every day. I just get so busy, you know, that it just it just doesn't happen every day. So, okay. Um, thank you for your show. Um, the question was, um, you said that before OA... The response is that you need, you know, the, the stress and dealing with it with food and thinking that, you know, you take care of it later. Mm-hmm. Have you been in a 12-step already and having, having the tools in a different uh, setting? What changed so much for this dramatic? I mean, have you already done the 12 steps? So what was it that OA added in addition to that that you would now say, um, you can apply that, you know, allows you to deal with that particular stress. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> you took the words right out of my mouth. I guess, uh, uh, generally speaking, then, what you're asking me is, having had 19 years' experience with the steps coming into it, um, what, has, what difference has OA made in my working the steps? And or was it more like why couldn't I figure that out in the first? Why did it take me so long to figure out the food? Basically, is that what you mean? No, just specifically um, having had 19 years with uh-huh. uh-huh. not being able to um, respond without the food, and now being able to um, respond to the stress without. Being able to respond to like, the stress um, without the, the food. The steps are supposedly the thing that enable you. To you know, replace food. Exactly. Right. Oh, okay. I got it. Well, here's what it was. What was it about the steps that helped me able to deal with the food? First three steps. I am powerless over food. My life is unmanageable. Okay. I am willing to turn my will and my life 
as it as it as it relates to food over to a power, and I like to say other than me, as long as it's not me, because see, if I'm guiding it, I'm going to eat. If it's left up to Ed, Ed's going to eat. So it's got to be somebody else, okay? It's got to be somebody else, because I couldn't do it on my own, you know? And then I actually do turn it over. I have to turn it over. I have to turn the food over. But again, the most important thing, and that I didn't apply to it before, and it just the thought didn't occur to me to just say, I'm powerless over food and my life is unmanageable. I had a very powerful experience with the cancer in the same respect. It was 4 o'clock in the morning. And, uh, and this is perfect because I'll close with this because it's still one of my favorite stories um, because it's so, it's so immediate. It was 4 o'clock in the morning and this is a, a true testament to the power of these first three steps. And my wife, she wants to die, basically. She was that sick. Okay, and she just said, you know, if this is what it's going to be like, forget it. I don't want to do it. I just want to die because I feel so horrible. And I didn't know what to do. I mean, I, I was literally powerless over this, and and I was scared. I, I I didn't know what to do. And all I could think of to do was was the only thought that came to my mind was, I I, I remember I got on my hands and knees on the bed next to her, and I just I just took her hand and I said, look. We are powerless over cancer and our lives are unmanageable. And we went through the first three steps with cancer. Okay? And she made it through a very difficult protocol. A lot of women can't make it through this protocol. Only about 30% of the women who start this protocol make it through. And she made it through. And it started that night. And then every day we would repeat that process. And for me... That's how I make it through all that stuff. I have to do that with, 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 with all those issues in my life. So, did that answer it? Okay. Thanks. Thank you.